patiently waiting upon the Lord. That's next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. From Calvary Church, Colorado, this is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Glad to have you on board as we get back into 2 Kings. We've reached chapter 11. Here we're introduced to Ahab's daughter, and like her dad, she's up to no good. She's setting out to try to take the leadership over God's people. Let's see what we can take away from all of this as we hand things off to Pastor Ed. Chapter 11, 2 Kings chapter 11, and at this point in 2 Kings, it's always good to be reminded of where we are and what we're studying. Because when we began our study back in 1 Kings, the kingdom of God was united under King Solomon, David's son. But by the time we finished 1 Kings, the kingdom of God was divided. Israel to the north, Judah to the south. And now our study through Israel's history is pointing out to us the various kings of leadership. So in the northern tribes of Israel, there were 10 kings, or excuse me, there were nine, up to the north, the 10 tribes in Israel, there were 19 kings, and not one of them was good. And to the southern two tribes of Judah, there were 20 kings, and depending on how you look at it, there were eight good kings. And the end of the history of the southern kingdom will be the scattering of Israel in 726 BC by the Assyrians. And then remember, Judah will be taken captive by Babylon in 586, which is the Babylonian captivity that kind of ties together our study in Nehemiah and Ezra. And so we're looking at the history of Israel, the real true history as we are learning the spiritual lessons of the relationship of God with his people and God with his believers. This is under the old covenant. Uh, this was prior to the coming of Jesus Christ. This was the relationship with God through the sacrificial system. And just like we see today, in many ways, God uses imperfect people. And will even use our failures, man's failures, to accomplish his will. Now, Part of the exciting part of our study through 2 Kings, 1 Kings and 2 Kings, has been these two men, Elijah and Elisha, and watching their lives as they become these spokespeople, these spokesmen for God, or another way that that is described, it's not just a spokesman for God, but they were God's prophets. They were the ones that were speaking on behalf of God to primarily a rebellious nation. And God was using them in miraculous ways to send messages to the leadership of the nation. So with that in mind, 
uh, where we've been, just a little summary. If you want to catch up in depth, we did introductory studies both in the beginning of 1 Kings and also in the beginning of 2 Kings where we went way more in depth than this. But it's good to be reminded where we are and, and where we're picking up now in, verse 11, in chapter 11, verse 1. It says, When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal heirs. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered. And they hid him and his nurse in the bedroom from Athaliah so that he was not killed. So he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord. What does your Bible say? For how long? Six years. You might just want to mark that because it has much to say about how long God may have you waiting for something. For six years, uh, this kid is being hidden while Athaliah reigned over the land. So our attention now is turned away from Elisha for a while down to the southern kingdom of Judah. And there is no king because Jehu killed Ahaziah back in chapter 9. And now we meet this woman named Athaliah, Ahab's daughter. And she was just like her wicked dad. And sees an open door to seize control. She sees a weakness to take advantage of the nation, and she wants the throne of God. But I, I don't want you just to think of this in the political military realm, because everything is not just political and not just military. There's always a spiritual side to things, and this is the king was filling the throne of God. And so it wasn't just a military power, you know, like a coup, but rather she was wanting to take the throne of God. And she was a wicked woman. And so here you have wickedness wanting a place of leadership among God's people. Now, I want you to fast forward now. Turn with me to Acts chapter 20, because there's great application for us as we think of Athaliah wanting to take the throne of God. In Acts chapter 20, pick up with me in verse 28, where we have Paul the Apostle giving strong words of exhortation and warning to the leaders, to the elders of, of Ephesus, the, Ephesian, the, church, the leaders of the Ephesian church. Notice with me in verse 28, he says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So who owns the church? Jesus does. Why? Because he purchased your life and mine by his own blood. No man has ever done that for you. No movement has ever done that for you. No pastor, no priest, no preacher, no elder, no deacon. Only Jesus Christ owns us in a very real way because he purchased us by his blood. Notice verse 29. He says, take heed to yourselves, take care of the flock, because I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. A strong warning. Hey, be on guard. Be, have your spiritual edge in order. Take heed to yourself. Make sure you take care of your own spiritual life first so that you can take care of the flock of God. It belongs to Jesus Christ. The people of God belong to Jesus. He bought them with his own blood. Why? Because I know this, he says, verse 29, that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
And then he says in verse 30, and also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. There is always a press and a pull and a push of some to rule over God's people. Wickedness and wicked people are never far from places of authority among the righteous. And for us in the last days, living in the days in which we are, we are warned of false teachers. As Paul was warning in the first century, we have warnings over and over again. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it speaks of another Jesus. If anybody comes preaching another Jesus, in Galatians chapter 1, it speaks of a different gospel, a counterfeit, to watch out for the counterfeit Jesus, a counterfeit gospel. And Paul says, I'm telling you, after I leave, not just wolves, but savage wolves. They're going to come in and they're going to take advantage of the church. And on top of that, even some of the people you trust the most, some of the people that are among you right now, are going to rise up and do great damage to the body of Christ. And I have to say, having been ministering here for many, many years now, savage wolves, whether they come in from the outside or really those that have risen up from the inside that have been entrusted with much only to show their fangs at a later date are the most painful for a pastor to see in the body. They're the most painful. They hurt the most. The ones that were trusted, the ones that were beloved, the known ones, the ones that God, according to his word, raised up. They demonstrated faithfulness. They demonstrated care. They demonstrated love and service and commitment these hurt the most because all along the way or somewhere along the way, their hearts were wrong and far from the Lord. There are examples all throughout the Bible. This isn't new. Janus and Jambres, they resisted Moses and caused division among the people. Judas kissed the cheek. We all know Judas. When's the last time you heard a mom in the mall call her son Judas to her side? I mean, that name is so, so like, it's, it's such... It brings so many horrific thoughts of Judas. Nobody, I, I, nobody names their kids Judas. Judah, maybe, which means praise. Judas reminds us of betrayal. How about Ananias and Sapphira? I mean, from all outward perspective, they were doing a great work. Many believe that Ananias and Sapphira were inspired to sell their plot of land when they saw Barnabas do the same thing. And that's together in the book of Acts there. Barnabas had sold his things and, and began to serve the Lord in his fullness. And then they, many believe Ananias and Sapphira were inspired by that. And so everybody's saying, oh, Barnabas is doing it. Ananias and Sapphira is doing it. But they couldn't pull it over on God. And through the revelation of a word of knowledge, a, a discerning of spirits, Peter called out their lie. And remember what he said? He says, he wasn't just, they weren't just lying to the, to the apostles. They were lying to who? The Holy Spirit. They were lying to God. The third person of the Holy Spirit. The very one that probably is referring why the Holy Spirit's mentioned there is that the Holy Spirit was moving them to sell, to, to get on board, to go for it. 
but along the way they were corrupted. How about Demas serving God in such a great way, serving alongside Paul, becoming so fruitful and so important only to see him at the end forsake Paul and the ministry and go back into the world. And that's why I thank God for the gifts of his Holy Spirit, for the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, because we don't always know. You know, our, our pers- what we see is on the outside. Isn't that what the Bible says? Man uh, looks on the outward, but God knows the heart. We only look on the outward. And for the most part, everybody looks legit on the outward. Everybody looks like, you know, and then they, you know, there's even that where people learn the lingo really quick and they, they know the words and they show. And so you just, that's why it takes time to build relationship. But we don't know. We only see the outward. But we trust God with this church because he sees everyone's heart right now, mine included. And he will not allow a savage wolf to last very long in his church. He will not allow it. Sometimes and many times uh, he'll take care of a wolf before they do any damage, which is always great. Uh, because there's one, thing about self, there's one thing about deception that many people involved in deception tend to forget. They become self-deceived. And the self-deception comes where they think they can fake everyone all the time. You will not be able to fake everyone all the time. I don't know why you spend so much energy trying to fake out everyone out and live in life of deceit and never live in the truth. Haven't you found this to be true? Don't you know people in your life that if they just spent half the amount of time they spend on pulling off a lie, if they just spent half of that time serving God, they would be incredibly fruitful for the kingdom. But they're always working this, and what did I say here? And no, I didn't really mean that. And no, what you saw wasn't true. And they're always trying to pull off this deception on you. But while they're trying to deceive you, they're actually deceiving themselves. Because the Bible says that everything is naked and open before God. Nothing is hidden among us. And that's why I'm grateful for the very presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives because I know he'll take care of his church. False sheep and savage wolves do not last very long in a healthy church because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're spiritual, and God will reveal. And you say, come on, man. Seriously, he'll reveal stuff? He'll reveal the hearts of men? It has happened more than one occasion in this church, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful that God would reveal. And it's a very difficult thing to to deal with a wolf because they deny it all the way out the door. But what they can't deny are the people that they hurt and the people that they lied about and the gossip that they spread. They can't deny it. They do deny it, but the facts are the facts. And they are what they are. And you think, well, is there a biblical example of somebody being revealed like that? There is, back in the Old Testament. Remember the children of Israel were going into the city of Ai to defeat it? And unlike Jericho, they were told, don't take anything. It all belongs to God. And there was this guy by the name of Achan that decided, you know, I don't believe that everything belongs to God. I'm going to take a few things for myself. And he took him home and he hid him under his tent. And God said, get up because there is sin in the camp, Joshua. That's why you experience defeat. And he revealed Achan one by one. I mean, the whole, everybody was lined up by their families and then one by one, all the way. Achan had a chance to confess all the way to the end. And his thievery was not only revealed, but it cost him his life. You see, the the flock of God, and that's what we're described as in the Bible as sheep. The flock of God, the church of Jesus Christ, is very precious to to him. 
He loves you as his precious flock. He loves you in, in who you are and what he wants to accomplish in your life. You may not feel that loved and you may not sense or even acknowledge the love of God, but he loves his church. He loves this church, this local gathering. He loves the church, capital C, but he loves this church, little c. I, I just did another interview you know, when somebody comes on staff here, the last interview that they have is in my office. And uh, we go through a series of questions uh, and have a good talk, a good strong discussion and dialogue about who they are, where they've come from, what are their views on, on different things, and what are their views on the scriptures and such. And one thing that I remind them of is that in order to serve here, in order to really thrive here, you have to have a love for this church. And what I mean by that is not, and this is almost exactly what I say, I, I mean, what I mean by that is not the church. You know, the, the church. I love the church. All the churches in the world. I love all the good churches and, and I love the church. But I, meant, I mean this church, this local body, because we're a unique gathering of people. This is a unique gathering. We're not like other churches. For on purpose. Now, we might share, obviously, we have share core beliefs. We share uh, essential doctrines. For sure, we're like other churches in that way. But there was a plan and a purpose in the heart of God in raising up a brand new work right behind us here at Columbia Middle School 19 years ago. There was a plan and a purpose of God. He knew what he was doing when he wanted to bring a new fellowship family here in this city for the broader work of God throughout the metro area, throughout Colorado, and around the world. It was in his. We didn't know it. We were discovering what God wanted to do. We didn't know. We just knew uh, that God wanted to do a new work. We all kind of showed up, and over, over the years, we've been able to minister to many people. We're a unique church. There's a unique purpose and, and you have, and I know you probably already know this, but it's worth being reminded, you have a unique pastor. Uh, he is a unique guy. And, and I have a background that, that includes a lot of bad things that God delivered me from, like alcohol and drugs and stupidity. Well, probably not completely delivered from stupidity, but like I'm, I'm on my way. Like I, I still have flesh in me. But like, and so because of my testimony, there, there is a draw uh, especially that part of my testimony, there's a draw that people are strung out on drugs and, and addicted that they hear something on the radio and go, you know what, if God can save that crazy guy, then he could save me. And so what happens? They show up to a church service and here they are, you're sitting next to someone that just reeks of alcohol. Now, if you can't handle that, then this isn't the church for you. That's kind of a bummer you can't handle that. Where else do you want them to be? Do you want them to be out on the street? Do you want them driving? Do you want them laying in a curb somewhere? Or do you want them hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ that he might save their soul? That's where I want them. And so they're going to show up here. This is often the place in a ministry that we're a part of, especially because of our heritage. The heritage of our movement is with the down and out and the outcasts of society. The ones that the world said, there's no hope for, and you know, some of you were this group, so praise God you're still with us, but like they're known as the hippies. And you, know, you guys don't know who the hippies are? Go ahead and look it up on Wikipedia. You'll find out who the hippies were. They were just the crazy, I'm checking out on life type of people of their day. And God put it into the heart of a man, Pastor Chuck Smith, and his wife Kay, to begin reaching out to them and minister to them and welcome them as they are, which was not the case in many churches in that day. 
And we are, even though I wasn't a, I, I was alive probably as a baby back then, but I wasn't a hippie. Uh, I don't know if I was a baby hippie. I doubt it, but I, was, I wasn't a hippie, but I have that same, like, that's my heart. It, you're welcome here. I don't care what your problem is. You're welcome here. I don't care what you're into. I don't care what sin you're a part of. I don't care what, what's happening. You are welcome here to receive the love of Jesus Christ and to be confronted with the reality of your sin. You have to love this church. And then, of course, you know, over the last five years, great tragedy has struck my life. As the, in May of 2013, my son passed away, and so now that has added a dynamic to our church, and so a lot of sad people come here now, a lot of broken people because they'll hear a testimony and they'll see, man, if that happened to him and he's still standing, then maybe I can still stand. And so a lot of broken people are here. And you're like, well, I can't deal with broken people. We should always be happy and we should always be smiling. When I go to church, I want to smile. I want to be around a bunch of sad people. This isn't the right church for you. And plus, you're not like, connected with reality because there's sad people everywhere. Like the brokenness of this world is beating people down. If you would just open your eyes, like you'd see them at work, you'd see them in the market, you'd see them everywhere. People are people. It's not a church thing. But like we, we are open to what God wants to do in this. And, and you know, you might kind of look and go, well, you know, I don't like that. Well, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Find a church that you do like. Like why do you spend time arguing and all upset about things? Go find a church you like and serve the Lord. That's the best counsel I could give you. If you don't love what God's doing in this particular body, I don't judge you if you think, oh, I need to go somewhere else. Well, go somewhere else because we're going to be in heaven pretty soon and you need to be busy about the Father's business. And when you're critical and murmuring and complaining, and you're not about the Father's business. How do I know that? Because the Bible says, do all things without murmuring and complaining. And so what does the enemy do? He gets us divided with one another, judging one another, upset with one another. I don't like this and I don't like that. As if the whole world, like you own the church, like I own the church. We don't own the church. Who owns the church? Jesus. And how did he own the church? By his precious blood. And so you you need to love this particular body of Christ. And so the church of Jesus is very precious to him. This church is very precious to him. And this church is very precious to me. This, this church that we're a part of, this is our church. And what I mean by that is this is where my kids grew up. This is where we grew up, my wife and I, where we've made a lot of mistakes in our leadership and we've learned how to grow and we've grown together and how God has used it. This church is special to me and I don't take very kindly to wolves. I don't like you if you're a wolf. And the best thing that you can do is repent and become a sheep because you're not going to last very long here. We, we aren't going to let you do damage to this church. We're not going to let you hurt the people. We're just not going to do it. So I'm just warning you right now. If you've come here or you're listening right now, I think, oh, you know, I think Calvary's a place I can go hurt someone. No, it's not going to happen. We're not. We, we guard this church with our lives. The people here are special from the babies that were just born or even still in the womb to the oldest saint in our church and everyone in between. You're special. You're important. And we're going to teach you sound doctrine. And we're going to commit you to the grace of God and to his truth. And we're going to stand up for what is right. And we're going to teach against false doctrine. And we're going to protect you and guard you. And we're going to watch out for you. Of course, we're only human, but that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. 
we're only human, so the Holy Spirit, is, he does a good job taking care of his church. But if you're a wolf here, you are invited to leave kindly and quietly or repent, but you don't have a third option. We're in the middle of a study of Second Kings on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. If you enjoyed the message, hear it again online at calvaryaurora.org or listen through our app. You can search for that in the App Store or Google Play. Just look for Calvary Aurora. At Abounding Grace, we're committed to bringing the truths of God's Word to the radio every day. But we can't do it alone. We look to our listeners to help us provide these daily studies. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, we'll send you Why Grace Changes Everything by Chuck Smith. You'll be encouraged as you hear how God's grace really does change everything in your life. And it's the key that unlocks God's blessings. Call us right now at 877-30-GRACE or turn to calvaryaurora.org. That's 877-30-GRACE. If you're writing, here's our address, Abounding Grace, 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado, 80013. And then join us next time when we'll pick up where we left off in 2 Kings here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado.